Hi, I'm Olaomi Brigway, and I began to experience all-round supernatural success in my life when I finally accepted that no matter how hard a person works, they will never rise above the level of thinking. Are you looking for transformation from the inside out? Then join me on the Super Abundant Life podcast. Hi, this is Olaomi and welcome to episode 90 of the Super Abundant Life podcast. Today, I'm going to be teaching how to become a miracle magnet and open your life to a floodgate of supernatural advancements. Trust me, you don't want to miss this one. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome. <laughs> welcome to today's episode of the podcast. It is always a pleasure for me to have you listening to me on these episodes that I record. Um, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful to God, first of all, for the opportunity to be able to teach these things. And I'm also grateful to you for investing your time in listening to the podcasts and investing in yourself. So, Thank you. Thank you also for sharing the podcast. I know many of you are doing that. Um, please do so. This is a year of the 10x, <laughs> 10 times more in this year in the name of Jesus. Say it about yourself too. Say this is my year of the 10x more. Okay. Amen. So I'm just going to get into what I'm going to be talking about today. I will be teaching about how to become a miracle magnet and open up your life to a floodgate of supernatural advancements without hustling. <laughs> I'm super excited to be recording this teaching because it is probably the most important truth that I've come across in my Christian life. <laughs> Since I became a Christian, this is probably the most revolutionary truth that I have come in contact with. And I will never forget how and when I learned this principle that I'm going to be teaching about today. I still till today, give God thanks for giving me the opportunity to learn this truth. That's the kind of impact it has had in my life over the past almost 20 years now. So how did I start? How did I actually learn this principle. It was the year 2003 <laughs> and well, I was a young lady. I was fresh out of university and, um, I was seven and a half months pregnant and single. All right. So single meaning there was no road there. It wasn't like we're going to have a shotgun wedding and, you know, patch it up. And even though, you know, that would have somehow gone to deal with some of the issues surrounding it, but that wasn't meant to be. Um, so my, that was my plan A plan A didn't work out <laughs> and there was no plan B because I had no job. I had just finished university. I had no money. Um, and a child was about to appear in my life in about a month. So <laughs> you can understand where I was. All right. You can understand the frame of mind that I had. You can understand just the, the darkness that was threatening to literally swallow me up. Um, I was depressed. I was angry. I was bitter. I was full of shame. I felt completely worthless. I mean, you know, pretty much as if my life no longer was worth anything. That's where I was. That was a frame, my, the frame of my mind. That's every waking moment of my day, these were thoughts that had literally dominated my mind. I just did not see a way out. I felt like I had nowhere to turn and it was a hopeless situation as far as I was concerned. Um, and <laughs> it was at this point in the midst of all this, that one day a friend of mine walked into my house. And by this point, I wasn't really allowing anybody to see me. So I had literally hidden myself away because prior to that, I, I was actually to add to the, the 
so-called shame. I was a pastor on a Unilag, oh, sorry, on a university campus. So I was a pastor. I had been a youth. I had been a youth pastor. In fact, I had started a women's ministry as as an affiliate of 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 the church of the of the fellowship on campus. I had led many women. I had been very active in ministry, in my faith walk, in my Christian walk for as long as I could remember. Pretty much, almost immediately after I became born again. Um, and started walking with God, I was on fire for God. So having had all that history and all that exposure, you can sort of get an idea and understand where I was in terms of the guilt, the condemnation, and the immense sense of shame. So I, I basically hid myself away. Nobody, I didn't allow anybody to see me. Um, people would come knock on the gates and say, where's this girl? And those were the days, thank goodness, where um, mobile phones were not that common. So people, if they if they wanted to see you, they would come to your house, knock on the door. If you don't open the door, they assume you are not home and they will go away. And a few of my friends had sort of showed up like that, knocked, and I look, you know, from inside the house uh, at the person out, you know, standing outside the gate, and I basically would not answer. So after a while, people stopped. Now <laughs> they just assumed that okay, maybe you know she's not around, maybe whatever it is, they just assumed and left. Um, so on this particular day, there was one person, a friend of mine in particular that I, I was in contact with who had, you know, who I told, uh, who knew about the situation that I was pregnant. So most people did not know. So who knew about it and was very supportive, not judgmental. Um, so basically God used this friend of mine as some kind of light in, you know, in, in a very dark situation. So I, I let him come and see me and he just basically turned up that day. He walked into my house and without asking, without me asking, he just handed me a book. Now, something about that book grabbed me. I had seen that book, that particular book months before, and I had even tried to borrow it from the person that owned that particular copy. So I said, ah, you know, this book is looking very interesting. Can I read it? And I'm like, no, I'm not giving you my book. Go and buy your own, something like that. And then I just forgot about it. So they said, no, I moved on. I forgot about it. I never thought about the book again. But then here comes my friend who shows up out of the blue and hands me a book randomly that I'd wanted to read a few months back. Right. And they woke up one day, the person that actually owned the book <laughs> Now, this is, this is why I said the book grabbed my attention because I had forgotten about it. Now, the person that I had tried to borrow the book from essentially just woke up that day and said to that friend of mine, give this book to allow me. And so he took it, came over to my house and then said, so-and-so said I should give you this book. I just knew somehow when I saw that book, I just knew that that was my way out, that there was something inside that book that I needed to know and understand. And by knowing and understanding that truth, it was going to set me free. Okay. I knew that the answer to my prayer, to that prayer of desperation that I prayed to God a couple of days earlier was inside that book. I just, I, I don't know how something inside me just said, that is it. So I, I took it. I said, thank you. And I immediately started reading that book. And I literally devoured it like a starving man, like a, someone that has been starved of food for, for many days. That's how I, you know, I was so hungry for, for the way out that I just gave myself over to that book. And I, I pretty much, I think I read it in a day. It's not a small book, right? Probably about 300 pages. I don't remember exactly, but I, I sat down and I just read, I, you know, I was drawing lines. I was underlining. I was making notes. I was like, mm, wow. Oh. And basically what happened was that book revolutionized my thinking. I was right. The truth of my life that was going to set me free and move me forward in a very dramatic way was contained in that book. It completely changed my way of thinking because I had been a Christian for years, but I didn't know much about actively partnering with God to create miracles. I had just assumed or had been taught, I don't know which one, 
that it was all up to God. So you sort of, you know, pray and ask God and say, God, come and do a new thing in my life. God, come and do something in my life. You pray, 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 pray. And automatically things would happen. Now I had experience because by the mercy of God, some things will pop into your life. Okay. Because you don't know better. But as you grow in Christ, there's certain spiritual principles that you must begin to get a hold of that you no longer have an excuse. You're no longer a baby that God will just say, okay, fine. This is the level of their knowledge. They don't know any better. Let us do this. Okay. No, once you begin to mature, once you begin to grow in Christ, you, you no longer have an excuse. And a lot of times that's when, um, supernatural occurrences tend to dry out in people's lives, right? That's when it tends to dry out. They don't, they're not really getting those kind of answers to their prayers again. And they're wondering what happened, what went wrong? Did I do something wrong? No, you didn't do something wrong. You just needed to know a truth for your level of maturity in Christ. And for me, it was this truth that God was showing me because I'd always thought, listen, if God wanted to help me, he would help me. This was my thinking. I didn't necessarily think it had anything particularly to do with me. So when I saw this truth, and I'm going to be teaching about it in t- today, all right, in this teaching, I immediately put it into practice what I had learned. I didn't faff around. I didn't wait. I didn't go, well, I didn't argue. I didn't debate. <laughs> I didn't even have the luxury, right? It's like someone in quicksand, you throw them a rope. They don't say, I don't like that kind of rope. That's polyester. All right. I'm allergic to polyester. Go and find me, you know, something that is hundred percent cashmere or so. No, they will grab it. That's where I was. I didn't argue. I didn't say, yeah, well, the, what's the theology behind this one? No, I literally took it and I began to practice it. And do you then know what happened in about a month of practicing the truth that I got from that book, literally miracles began to pop up in my life everywhere, everywhere as in miracles, miracles upon miracles, mind blowing, jaw dropping miracles. I'll give you a few examples leading up to that. All right. Up until the point where I had that book, I had a desire. So I was living in Lagos, Nigeria. I went to school in Nigeria. I grew, I was born, grew up in Nigeria, right? But I had a desire to move to the UK. But in my current state at that time, (laughs) it was not just difficult, it was impossible. It was impossible. I mean, I had tried to apply for UK visa a few times while I was at university and I was what? Rejected every single time. They stamped and said, my friend, leave this place. (laughs) I said, bye, you try and show all sorts of evidence. You try and convince them. You write the letter anyhow. They said, no, 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 please carry your load. In fact, I remember one particular um, episode where, you know, uh, British people now, polite to a fault, like ma'am, ma'am, or madam. I think she said madam. <laughs> this was like, I was a teenager or something. She said, madam, could you please step away from the, from the, from the window? Because I, I, I kept trying to convince he had said no. But I was like, no, sir, please. I was trying, I was begging this man, said, please step away. Madam, could you please step back? Madam, could you? <laughs> so they had given me a show. You know what they say, a show, like nil, like bye-bye, be going, bye. Like, I think probably about three times, okay? I had been denied a visa to go to the UK. Now, I want you to compare that. At least then I was a student, all right? I was a student. The, you know, there was some money around, you know, at that time to, to play with and to say, oh, see, there's money in the bank account. I can afford it. I can buy a ticket, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But at this point in time, I was no longer a student. So I had no ties that would sort of bring me back. I didn't have a job. I had no money. In other words, I was a perfect example of the kind of person they would never give a visa. In fact, I didn't even have a passport. I didn't have money to pay for a passport. That's, that's, that was my current state. That was, that was where I was, but I had a desire to move to the UK. But like I said, within a month, 
within a month. In fact, when I when I went to the British High Commission, I was I was about three weeks away from my original delivery date. Thank God that was two weeks. I was two weeks overdue. So pr- practically nine months pregnant was when I got a two year visa, right? Going to the British High Commission with, with all the things that I just listed. All right. I was pregnant. I was about to pop. <laughs> that's when they decided to give me a visa. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. Not only did I get that two year visa, Within a year from that time, I had traveled to the UK. I had done my postgrad in the UK. I had gotten a job in the UK that paid me a little more than I desired that I'd written down. And my daughter and I were on track to receive British citizenship all within one year. Miracles after miracles after miracles were literally popping up, popping up in my life. Now, back then, I didn't really know why what I did worked. I just knew that it did. I just knew that it did. <laughs> but after that year of back-to-back mind-blowing miracles, I was like, ah, I think there's something. <laughs> I think we may have, you know, found gold in this place. So I began to study diligently to uncover why. Why does it work? Why? All right. And when I did, my mind was blown all over again. The Holy Spirit helped me. He began to show me, he taught me through the scriptures. I, I went and I did my research, read loads of books, etc. And I began to see actually that it was all over scripture. It wasn't just like a random occurrence from the moment where the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth all the way to the last verse in Revelation. You will see this principle in the scriptures. It is everywhere. So out of it, once I understood why, I created a framework out of this principle and I began to use it for every area of my life. And without exaggeration, God is my witness. That framework, that principle is responsible for every major breakthrough that I've experienced in my life without exception. In fact, when I observe my life, so when I sort of step back and look at maybe the last six months of my life or six, three months of my life, whatever, and I feel like my life has been a bit dry, you know, like I'm, I find myself toiling and struggling for anything. I always without fail realize that it's because I had abandoned that principle. And so I had gone from a life that is fueled by grace to a life that is just like by my own effort and struggling and toiling and hitting my head against brick walls. So I basically just say, ah, okay, we have departed. Oh, let's go back. I continue to do that. Miracles popping up in practically every area of my life over several years. And then a few years ago, God gave me the privilege to start teaching this principle to other people. I have coached people who have enjoyed their marriages absolutely restored from the point of not talking to each other. If they try to talk to each other, they will be arguing, arguing, fighting, fighting, fighting to marriages being restored to people that had been single for a long time, applying this principle and then getting married. People have landed awesome jobs. People have bought their dream homes debt. They've become debt free as a result of applying this simple principle from the word of God. Now, what is this principle? It's so simple that it is easy to dismiss and even easy to ridicule. People say, oh, so I'm going to show it to you from the word of God. Okay. So let me start. Isaiah 49, and I'm going to read from verse one. I want to show you that if you put this principle from the word of God, so simple. In fact, for you listening to me, you probably wouldn't go, ah, that's new. I've never heard that before. But the reason why I have said everything I've said so far is to remind you If you've already heard this before and you're already practicing it, and sometimes you have a tendency to abandon it, okay, to remind you 
of the importance and the potency of what I'm about to say. And if you're hearing this for the first time to convince you that this is the truth that is going to set you free in that area that you think might be hopeless. Isaiah 49 from verse one says, before I was born, the Lord called me from my birth. He has made mention of my name. Verse two says, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant in whom I would display my splendor. Now I want you to think about that very carefully. It says, when God created me, Isaiah was saying this, and he was talking about Israel and therefore about us. It says, when God created me, when he formed me, there was one thing in particular that he did. He said, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword, meaning, and then he, he didn't just make it as a sword and then said, go and start talking anyhow. He said, he took it, he made it into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver, meaning he made my mouth as his weapon. What is our scripture telling you? It's telling you that your mouth is actually God's weapon. It is the sharpened arrow in God's quiver, which he wields to fight, to conquer the enemy, and also to bring his will to pass in your life. God is the one that has made you. He could have used your arm. He could have said your arm, just wave your hand up and down. And that's how God's blessings will come into your life. He could have his God, but he chose words, your words as his weapon that he will use the tool that he will use to bring his will to pass in your life. That's how he chose it. And you can't argue with that. What does that mean? It means that you cannot be fruitful in the things God has called you to, nor can you actually enjoy abundant prosperity in any area of your life without engaging God's secret weapon, which is his word in your mouth. That's the secret. That's the principle. The word of God in your mouth is the most potent force on the face of this earth. People will say, oh, they are caught, you know, confession. Why do you need to come? Listen, you, you are seeing it here in the word of God. I'm also going to show you Ephesians 6, 17 that says the word of God is a sword that the Holy Spirit wields. So you can see New Testament corroborating what I've just read to you in the prophets. It says the word of God in your mouth is the sword of the spirit. So if you are not speaking, the Holy Spirit has nothing to work with. Literally, it says the word of God in your mouth is the sword that the spirit wills. The responsibility is on you to speak the word. God is already ready. God's ready for battle. These are things that God has shown me over the past, what, 18, 19 years. And I've grown stronger and stronger in this truth. God, you know, that's in that time, that season of my life where I discovered this truth. He basically, I was waiting on God. I was saying, God, help me. God, help me. Come and bring me out of this situation. Come and help me put peace in my mind. Come on. I was saying all this in God, come, come, come. And God showed me, said, I'm here. What do you think I was? I mean, you're my child. You're in distress. Where do you think I'll be? You think I'll be far? The Bible says that God is close. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's not far. He's not far. He's not hiding somewhere and say, look at you until you shout enough. I won't come. I mean, <laughs> can be it. come on. He's like, I'm not far. I'm right here. You don't need to keep calling. I'm here with the first time you said, come, I came. I, I was already in fact in that situation before it became a situation for you, because I already knew where you were going based on your pattern of thinking, based on the choices and decisions you were making. I knew where you were going to land before you landed there. And I was already waiting for you there, waiting to take you out of this situation and back on track. 
So he said, you don't stop begging me. Stop begging me. You don't need to beg me. I am your father and I love you and I'm here. Right? So he showed me that he's ready to avenge on your behalf. He's ready to bring his will and his kingdom to pass in your life. Right? But he said, the weapon that he can only wield are your words. So his word in your mouth is the sharpened sword that God literally wields to bring his will to pass in your life. If you are looking for victory that God has already provided to take effect in your life, then you must engage his weapon, which is your mouth, which is your mouth. I'm going to show you another scripture. Okay. Stay with me because at the end of this, I'm going to walk you through a part of the framework and how to actually engage the weapon of God, which is your mouth. So Psalm 91, Psalm 91 verse 12, okay, says, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. It says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, your refuge, right? He says, no evil shall befall you. No plague shall come near your dwelling, etc., etc. All right. Did you catch that? It says, because you have made the Lord your refuge, therefore no evil will come near you. No plague will come near your dwelling, etc. But the question is, I know we say the Lord is the, you know, the question is how did the person make the Lord their refuge? It says, because you have made the Lord your refuge. How do I make the Lord my refuge so that no evil shall befall me? No evil. Do you understand? Because if it is automatic, why is evil coming against people that are in? Because if it's simply by being in Christ, that means nothing bad should ever happen to a Christian. Nothing bad should ever happen. You might even say, oh, people that are nice, they're doing good things. Why is bad things happening to them? Right? If it is automatically because, oh, I'm a Christian, therefore no evil shall befall me. So there's an, there's a problem because we see bad things happening to good people, to Christians all the time. But here's the secret. Listen, this is the key. How does this person that says they have made the Lord their refuge. How did they do it? The answer is in verse two. It says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. How did the psalmist make him make God his refuge? He said, I will say. When he said it, God became his refuge. Until he said it, God potentially could be his refuge, but experientially, right? I'm not saying it so that God would do it. I'm saying it so that what he has done will find expression in my experience. That's the difference. So it's not like, oh, when I say it, that's when God goes into action and says, okay, she's talking, she's talking. No, 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 no. It says to avenge, to execute judgments, meaning this thing belongs to this person. When I speak it, literally God wields that weapon and says it belongs to her. So it must come into her life. That's the difference. It says, I will say. So potentially God is my refuge, but until I say God is my refuge, I don't experience that in my life. It's right here. Nothing happens until you speak. Nothing happens until you speak. I said at the beginning of this podcast that as baby Christians, we said all sorts. We prayed all kinds of prayers and things happened. But if you go back and you check, after a while, those things sort of dried out and you're like, why do, why is my life just, I remember when, you know, as a baby Christian, I was on fire before I said this one, that's what happened, etc. So what's going on now? 
or how come I pray, 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 or how come, you know, I, I like God, you know, I desire this thing. I've been, I've been designing for a long time. It hasn't happened. It's because by now they say you should be enjoying meat. That's what the Bible says. You have grown past. You're no longer a babe. Whereby it's just as a mercy because the level of knowledge was low. God, you know, things happened. You have moved past that. Nothing happens till you speak. And we're not just talking about speaking anyhow, anything. The word of God in your mouth is a weapon that the Holy Spirit wields to execute or to bring his judgment or his will to pass in your life. In Genesis chapter one, I hope you know that the earth was still as formless, as dark and as chaotic as it was, even though God was present on the scene. It says that the Holy Spirit hovered over. God was there, but it was still dark. It was still chaotic. There was nothing happening. It was formless. It was void until God said, let there be light. And then there was light. Nothing changed until God spoke. From Genesis 1 to Revelations, it is there in the Bible. If you go and read with an open mind, you will see it everywhere. Working in the positive and also working in the negative where people literally curse themselves by their words and they they basically attracted horrible things into their lives because of the words that they spoke because of the words that they spoke the final scripture that i'm going to show you right is joel chapter 2 it says in verse 11 and the lord utters his voice before his army for his host is very great so the host of our of angels they are strong and powerful who execute god's word right so he says that the lord utters his voice so he speaks before his army and what 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 does this army so he says it's a it's a great host of angels and what do they do he says they're strong and they're powerful and they do what they execute god's word joel 2 11 amplified version says they execute what the word of god so the army described in joel to refers to the angels it is their job to execute god's word i checked the dictionary and i discovered that the meaning of the word execute in legal terms is to carry out or put into effect the terms that are laid out in a will a legal document or a legal decision so god's word is his will to you his word outlines your rights and your responsibilities as a partaker of the divine covenant that Jesus gave us, right? It is the Holy Spirit that will enlighten you to these entitlements. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes and shows you that, ah, by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed, etc. But just because you read something and you can see it in the Bible, can you attest, can you put your hand up as you listen to this podcast? How many prophecies have you seen in your Bible? Okay. And you know, God can lie. Abby, that you still can't see in your life. Abby, am I lying? No, you, you can see the promises there, but you look at your life and you're like, where is it? I don't understand. God can lie. I know he didn't lie, but I look at my life and my life in that area is as far as what the Bible says. It is your responsibility to speak the will of God into existence through his word in your mouth. The responsibility of the angels is as you speak, they literally take your words and they're hacking. They use insurmountable strength and power to bring it to pass in your life. That's the order of things. God is the one that already made the provision. He documented the provision he has made for you in his word. The Holy Spirit reveals it to you in his word. You put it in your mouth and speak it. The angels take the words that you speak and they're hacking to it. They go forth 
and they execute what you have said, which is what God said. Okay. That's how it works. Now, the other thing I want you to notice in the verse that I read to you is he says that the Lord is ahead of this army and even he has to speak before they move. He says that he spoke and then they execute what he speaks. Even God, I mean, does not do anything without speaking. I mean, <laughs> I remember growing up, we used to watch this movie, Jesus of Nazareth. As a child, they, they would play it on, 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 on national TV, like at Easter and Christmas and all those things. And one of the things that I remember about that particular uh, Jesus movie was the Jesus there were times when I remember clearly that he would heal someone or cast out a demon by looking. We just give them like a stern look and the demons will fly out or the person will be healed or so whatever. And I was like, wow, that's super cool. Jesus has super cool eyes that when he just looks like the thing just emits laser and chases demons out. But do you say, do you see anywhere in the Bible where Jesus does not speak for anything to happen? Even the woman that he didn't know about that came from behind him she spoke so she put the word in her mouth there has to be words for there to be an exchange of power that's simply how god created the earth to function you cannot bypass how god created something to function you can't keep begging and keep saying what's happening god come and do this meanwhile you are not putting you are not giving him ammunition to work on your behalf he cannot bypass a principle that is holding the entire world together. He says that he holds everything by the word of his power. If he breaks that cycle, do you know that the sun will fall from the sky? Literally, because the reason why the earth is revolving around the sun and everything is in its place is because God spoke. If he violates that principle, every, there will be chaos. Everything will crumble in an instant. So he will not do it, no matter how much he loves you. Give him the weapon, which is his word, in your mouth. The angels cannot break rants. After this, or as you're listening to this, open up to Joel chapter 2 and read it for yourself. He said they match information, not breaking ranks. I mean, an angel can't just look at you and say, oh, I just feel sorry for this person, this child of God. Let's do something now. And they'll feel sorry for you and then go, just go and do something. It can't happen. It cannot happen. <laughs> I'm sorry, but they can't break ranks. They're only hacking to the voice of God's word. That's how it works. So you must consistently declare the word of God for angels to execute and, and bring the will of God to pass in your life. So what I'm going to do now, as I, you know, the second part of this is, so I've taken the time to introduce to you what the principle is and to show you only three scriptures from the Bible. There are literally thousands. I could talk about this all day. I could talk about how the children of Israel, despite the fact that God had given them the promise and they did not enter. Why? Because they spoke with their own mouth. God said, as you have spoken in my ears, that will really happen to you. Even though the, the giants, we found out later in Joshua, from what Rahab said, that the giants were really levered, that their strength had departed from them. They were so afraid of the Israelites. Meanwhile, the Israelites thought, oh, their giants were afraid of them, said they were going to die in the wilderness, and that's exactly what happened. All right? But I've only given you three. I purposely picked scriptures that are not popular so that you don't immediately turn off and say, I've heard that before. Okay? I showed you three ones that you probably had not heard of or seen in that light before. So I'm going to walk you through not the whole framework, <laughs> but one part of the framework that you can begin to implement straight away from right now, from listening to this podcast right now, in order for your life to open up to miracles. And like I said, if you already have been awakened to this truth and you have sort of abandoned it or you are doing it sporadically, it's time to pick up 
the mantle again and begin to consistently make the weapon available for God to use and to execute on your behalf. Okay. So I'm going to walk you through how you can, a part, one part of the framework that you can begin to implement today. And I'm going to also teach that from the Bible, Matthew 12, 38 to 40. All right. I'm going to show you a couple of steps from there, from what Jesus did. It says, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered and saying to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. So like, show us a sign that you are who you say you are. <laughs> but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a, a sign. Meaning you guys are just so flesh dominated. But he said, listen to what he said. He said, no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So they were asking for a physical sign, like write something in the sky. That's what they wanted. They wanted a physical sign. They wanted some kind of genealogical thing that you could trace it and blah, blah, blah. That's what they wanted. But he said, no, God does not operate like that. God is not going to give you physical evidence. They wanted physical evidence to show that he was truly the son of God. Jesus said the only evidence that God can give you is his word. Scripture. That's the only evidence you have. Where God is concerned, says faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you're still waiting for something to happen in your environment to know that you are going to have that thing, you will wait and wait and wait. In fact, Satan knows how to manipulate events in the environment to cause you to put your trust in that thing, that physical evidence, then he'll take it away so that you can, you, you know, the person becomes detecting like, Oh, I thought it was working. I thought things were moving. You know, it was already getting better. And then boom, something happened. And you, 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 the situation became worse than when you first started that journey. Satan is God of this world. He knows how to manipulate the physical to, 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 to achieve his own end. So you can rely, God does not give physical evidence. He gives the evidence of his word. So that's where you start. That's your step one. Okay. Remember it is his word in your mouth. That is the weapon. It's not just his word and it's not just your, your mouth. It is his word in your mouth. That is the complete weapon. Okay. So step one, go to God and let him reveal his will his word through the scriptures to you regarding that situation. So people say, but how, how do you go to God and ask? It's simple. I'm going to give you three very practical things that you can do, right? You only need one of them. And it depends on how the Holy Spirit would choose to lead you, but three very practical things, right? So what you do is you go to God and you ask, it says, if any lacks wisdom, Wisdom is do you understand, the will of God regarding that situation. That's wisdom that you need. You can pray scripture like Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. You can literally ask based on James, the scripture in James and say, Father, I lack wisdom. Please show me what is your will. Show me your, your word, your will, your heart concerning me in this situation. Ask him to open your eyes, right? You can, and then you need to go to a quiet place. You don't ask. While you are about to eat a ban, a wedu and, 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 and 10 pieces of meat and shaki and bokoto and all those things. Or you're asking why you are chewing gum and watching TV loud. I, I, I don't understand. How, who's, <laughs> your flesh is having a party and you want to hear your spirit. It doesn't work like that. You have to like leave all the things that would make your hearing dull. Go into a quiet place. I mean, you don't have to go on the mountain for 10 days to hear God. Just literally put off the TV, put your phone to one side. You can even create an atmosphere conducive to hearing God by worshiping. Put on some worship music and just begin to give God thanks. Because you're asking based on the fact that he already has a solution. He's not just hearing about that situation when it happened. It's not like, ah, Gabriel, come here. Did you hear that this person got sacked? Ah, what are we going to do? I mean, that's ludicrous. Before it happened, he had already made provision. He had already made a way of escape. 
So you go with the confidence that, Father, I thank you because you have already made a way of escape. I don't know it yet. And I would very much like, please, if you would reveal it to me. That's how you go to God. So go into a quiet place, start worshiping, and he will show you in one of three ways. So three practical things that can happen. The first one is as you're worshiping or as you're sitting down, just meditating on the goodness of God and thinking about how God is so good to you, etc., etc. The Holy Spirit can give you a direct scripture and verse that you had no prior knowledge of. Something, a scripture and a verse will literally just rise up in your heart. So like something like, Matthew, go and read Matthew 5.16. As in, you don't know what's in Matthew 5.16. You could say go and read Zechariah 3.21 or something like that. You don't know what's there until you literally go and open it. You open the scriptures and you will find that that scripture describes your situation perfectly. Perfectly. And you you weren't thinking about it before. You didn't know that scripture before. He literally just gives you a a book reference, a chapter reference, and a verse reference. And he says, go and open it. And you open it and you're like, oh my God. This is primarily the way God leads me. Since as far back for over 20 years now, even as a baby Christian, my first challenge, I remember, you know, as a baby Christian, God just told me, I didn't even know anything in the Bible. So it, it couldn't have been, I didn't know anything in the Bible. I had never really read the Bible like that. So I didn't know anywhere. So he just said, go and read. I remember it was second Corinthians, I think two, five, something like that. I went and read and I was like, oh my God. Right. So that's one way. And obviously it's the Holy Spirit that opens your eyes to see you will suddenly, you say, What? You mean this was in the Bible and you'd be like, it will, it will be as if God knew the situation and he wrote about you, you know, not, it might, it might be, for example, scripture might have been talking about Abraham, but you will so see yourself in it. You'd be like, oh my goodness. Okay. That's the first way. The second way is he can bring specific words in the scripture to your remembrance. For example, you could just remember a scripture that says somewhere that joy comes in the morning. So you can hear, you know, joy comes in the morning. You don't really know exactly where the scripture is. So you maybe take a a concordance, you search it, then you go and read that scripture, right? And then again, the Holy Spirit unveils your situation right inside that. You're like, wow. Okay, that's the second way. And the third way is... As you're sitting down, so if you're waiting and you don't really get either of those things, then you should do this. Take a concordance and search out, search for scriptures, as many as you can find. If I look for all of them regarding that matter. So someone says, I want, I want a new job. Okay. Or I want provision, right? So you can search for things, you know, like the work of your hands or someone that says they need money, uh, put money, put supply, all the words that are sort of linked to that search, do a diligent set and find as many scriptures as you can regarding that matter. So what you do is you begin to read them because remember, you still need one that the Holy Spirit himself wants to open up to you that is personalized. Okay. So begin to read and at some point one or two, usually one of the scriptures would jump out at you. He'd be like, wow, oh my goodness. And you will fit that situation so perfectly. Even if it's a scripture that you had read before, at that point in time, something just opens, or, I mean, some as if scales fall off your eyes and you see that scripture in a way you had never seen it before. So if you say, oh, how do I get the word? That is how you get the word. So moving on to step two, I'm going to continue reading. Jesus said after that, for as Jonah, so he said the only sign that God is going to give you is the scripture. Go and read about Jonah if you want a sign. God is not going to give you a physical sign, right? He now continued, he now said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, Jesus is talking about, says, so will I be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, right? So what is the next step? God shows you the scripture, And you can already see that, oh, there are similarities here, but you don't stop there. The same way, do you know that the Holy Spirit must have led Jesus to the prophet Jonah, right? 
he would have gone into the Torah and he would have, he, he had meditated on, on Jonah so much. So he knew he had embodied it, that, ah, I can see this is exactly what's going to happen. And as this, as a fish spits Jonah out, that's how the grave is going to spit me out too. So what am I saying? The second step is you have to meditate on that word until you see yourself in it. Notice that Jesus could clearly see his own life story in the scriptures about Jonah. He didn't just say, oh, Jonah, you know, he didn't take it literally like, oh, okay, a fish is going to come and swallow me up and then I'll stay in the fish. No, he meditated upon it and then he saw that, oh, crucifixion or death and the belly rather than being literally a fish as it was for Jonah, it would be the belly of the earth, meaning they will bury him. Do you understand what I'm saying? That comes by meditation. You staying with that word. So he could clearly see his own life story in the scriptures about Jonah. He didn't just read Jonah's story as a prophetic word of God to him. He meditated. He kept praying over that scripture and saying, Holy Spirit, show me, open my eyes. He read it. He would close his eyes. and med- That's what meditation is. He will mutter it until he saw his own situation clearly in it. How he would spend three days, not in the belly of a fish, but for him personally, he would be in the grave. And after the third day, he would be raised. So that was where he got his assurance from that he was not going to be left in the grave because the fish did not hold Jonah. The fish spits Jonah out. So that was where his assurance came from that, ah, okay, I'm, I'm not afraid to die because I know that on the third day, God is going to raise me up again. So the second step is, it's not enough for you to receive a scripture from God. Most people stop there. And then they are looking at that word and they're admiring that word. Ah, God has told me that this is what's going to happen. And they never do anything with it. They don't meditate on it. They don't take it until they can see themselves in that scripture. And how do you do that? Once you receive that word, the process of speaking starts. God told Joshua in Joshua when it meditate means mutter, speak it to yourself until you observe, until you see. Do you understand? So he's not just looking at the scripture and say, oh, look at that scripture. That's what God promised me. I'm just waiting for it to happen. Listen, you will wait and wait and wait and wait. You begin speaking. You begin confessing that word. You begin speaking it as you're doing that. Listen, God is painting the picture in your heart is tilling the the grounds of your heart so that you take on the image, the identity of that word that he has shown you. So you keep going until you see yourself in a step three. Okay. Then it says, I'm going to go to Mark chapter eight and I'll read verse 29. Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. And 31 says, then Jesus began to tell them that the son of man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. Okay. Now, after Jesus had sat with this prophecy from Jonah about, you know, uh, um, in the scriptures written about Jonah, he meditated until he saw himself in that scripture. It didn't stop there. The next thing was he began to say it everywhere. Jesus went, he, he talked, say, destroy this temple and I will bring it back in three days. They thought he was talking about the physical temple. No, he was, he was talking about himself. So he began to see it in his everyday experience. He began to speak it. Okay. So your next step is begin to speak it plainly and boldly in specific terms. So it's not just, Oh, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. Begin to say in the name of Jesus, I am completely healed of call the name of that thing. So specifics it says that Jesus began to tell them plainly. He wasn't just using, um, parables anymore. It says he began to tell them plainly, he told them specifically. He didn't say, Oh, Jonah would go into, he said, no, they would come that they would kill him and he will spend three nights, blah, blah, blah. And then he will rise from the dead. So he, he, he fashioned a confession regarding his own specific situation based on the scripture that God gave him. And he began to speak it. 
So begin to speak plainly and boldly in specific terms what the Holy Spirit showed you about that situation, about your situation. Start privately. Don't start publicly because people will kill your faith. When you start, it is still like a tiny seed. Okay? They will stamp on you and say, well, how is that going to happen? It's not possible. How can you be the first black person that will be the CEO of, of Fortune 500 or whatever? They will say, it's not possible. You can't, you can't. Listen, don't go and draw problems that God didn't send you. You start speaking a word privately. Jesus had spoken it to the point that nobody could convince him otherwise before he started speaking it publicly. Okay. In fact, when people found out that he was, he was special, he said, please don't tell everyone because he didn't want to expose himself too early to the pressures of people. He want to, he wanted to get to the point where he was so solid that if, in fact, if you call the whole world against me, I don't care. Okay. So start privately. But the truth is after a while, that word will get inside you so much that you won't, you can't help but say it publicly too. So you, you won't know until you have told somebody that, oh, I'm going to be the next CEO of whatever. And they're looking at you. But by that point, don't, don't worry. If it's coming out of you without you consciously saying it, you don't need to worry. Okay. It is already in your heart. And lastly, step four, I'm going to read what happens next. So when Jesus spoke it publicly, right? He says, as he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus didn't say, oh, Peter, that's so cute. Oh, you love me so much. You don't want me to die. No. Jesus turned around, looked at his disciples and reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. So he knew it wasn't Peter talking. It was Satan that had cried and then went and crouched beside Peter and whispered, he must not die. He can't die. Ah, can you say, how can your master die? And Peter too heard Satan and repeated what Satan said. But Jesus knew the source of the word. He knew that it was an attempt by Satan to thwart, to thwart what God wanted to do in his life. He recognized it. And was he passive about it? No, he was very aggressive about it. He was quick. He says, Satan, get away. I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. I declare in the name of Jesus. The reason why you're saying that is because you're only seeing things from the flesh point of view. You're looking for fiscal evidence. Meanwhile, I have the evidence of the word of God that can never fail. So the first and the last step that I'm going to share with you, which is one part of this framework that I've been talking about is be ready and quick to silence everything contrary that comes to attack that word, whether it is thoughts in your own mind or suggestions in your own mind, know, know that Satan can come and whisper to you. Okay. He did it with Jesus. So don't think Satan can't talk to me. Yes. He's talking to you right now. <laughs> okay. He's always talking. He's always using all sorts of thoughts in our minds. He carried Jesus and said, throw yourself down. Right? Okay. So <clears throat> rightly judge, you know, this is what God said. If a thought comes as a result of your experience, as a result of whether you just something happened and the thoughts start, you know, barraging your mind and suggestions, also people's words, he will stir people up as you, 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 as you can see that he did with Peter, you have to be quick. To say no, you don't have to be rude. I mean, well, <laughs> Jesus was like, Peter, it's Satan that's talking through you. I don't know how Jesus said that, but I think he reprimanded him because I was like master to to students. So I guess it was okay. You don't you don't have to be rude with people, but be firm. Don't allow that word settle in your heart. Okay, be ready and quick to silence everything that is contrary that comes to tell you that God is a liar because that's basically what that. Thing came to do to come and tell you that God is lying. And if you entertain those kind of things, they will eventually shut you up. And remember, once you stop speaking, the miracles stop. Angels literally ground to a halt and they don't have work again. They'll start playing chess and you know, and like we don't have work. This person, see, we are saying to this person, all they are saying is negative words that we can't, you know, all the all the demons are, are busy. The angels of God that are meant to bring good into your life are playing, are playing chess and, and relaxing and do you understand? No, 
okay? Satan wants to shut you up. He wants you to stop saying that thing. He will use all sorts of things. He will use offense. He will use bitterness towards God. Oh, God has it done it. I don't even want to blah, blah, blah. No, don't stop. Keep speaking because that's how the miracles will come into your life. And what would happen is as you are diligent in your speaking that word over that situation, the angels are moving on your behalf. The Holy Spirit is also working. He will begin to open your eyes to the right action to take. Inspired action. So the angels are moving, are causing divine coincidences to happen. Somebody just shows up one day and you meet the person and they give you exactly the right information that you're supposed to, to use or whatever it is. So the angels are moving, orchestrating things, events in the natural. The Holy Spirit is also working on you, opening your eyes so that you will recognize those opportunities. He's also supplying with strength and the courage to take that inspired action and to unlock that supernatural breakthrough in your life. That's the process, okay, regarding speaking. This is how you create miracles in your life. This is how you become a magnet for miracles, okay? There's another part of the framework, but let's start with this one first. Go and practice this one, okay? And if the truth is, if you practice it, the other part that I'm talking about, the Holy Spirit would actually teach you exactly what you ought to do to complete that process. But this is where you start. If you are not speaking, you are not created. Your angels are sitting down playing Ludo. They're like, give us work to do. They will not, it's not by saying, angels, go and, I'm sorry, oh, I don't, I don't see where Jesus said, angels, go and heal that man. He simply said, and we know that it happened. Right? So it's not about calling my angels from the north, from the south, angels of Africa, angels of um, South America come here. It's not, I mean, I don't see where they're saying angels come. They're hacking to the voice of the word of God. Put the word in your mouth and boom, angels go to work on your behalf. That's it. <laughs> That's what I've come to share with you today. And um, yeah, I will be back next week. Practice this. Come back and tell me testimonies, all right? Live like this and I guarantee you, you will get out of the rat race in this life. You will begin to see unusual things pop up in your life that you'll be like, ah, ah, now, wow, this God is, sir, uh, is too good, okay? I'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye.